I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. We're not saying hello today. Oh, no. Sorry. I forgot my manners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy making a TikTok of our intro. If you hear this, go, go follow us <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> well, you know. Ha- we got to market. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to class. Oh, is it going to feel like a lecture today? I hope not. This is an exciting story. I'm pumped about this. I'm excited because I've been hearing you talk about it for two weeks. I've been talking about it, but not really saying I know. what it is because there's so much and it's wild. Okay. So yeah, this isn't going to be our typical like, oh, this happened. This is the person that did it and here's their trial. It's about an entire family, and there's literally no way to tell any one person's story well without telling the whole family's story. You can't dumb it down or shorten it at all, huh? Not at all. So, I don't know. Do we have any business to attend to? Definitely not. Okay. Not right now. Then we're going to jump in. Woohoo! To the Cannonin family tragedy don't know that i'm set on that title but okay here we'll call it that because that's definitely it definitely is a tragedy all right so what should have been a typical thursday instead turned out to be the day that the cannon and family secrets began to unravel on september 11th 2003 Marilyn Cannonin failed to report to work as usual. Oh, it's just a bad day. That day's just cursed. Mm-hmm. Her coworker, Judith Lentz, insisted to their newly appointed boss that this was completely out of character for Marilyn, and she was concerned. When Judith could not reach Marilyn herself, she called Marilyn's eldest daughter, Cheryl, and left a message. Then when Cheryl finally spoke with Judith... She learned that her mother had not shown up for work, nor had anyone there heard from her. Cheryl and her husband, Chris, went to Marilyn's house to check on her, but her car was gone, no one answered the door, and the key that Cheryl had was no longer working. Hmm. She knew that her mom would change the locks periodically, especially after having certain extended family members come to town or stay with her. But she had always given Cheryl the new key. This, of course, worried Cheryl even more, but she had to go to an event at her son's school, so they went ahead and left. Okay. When- okay, so Cheryl's, like, much older. I thought, for some reason, I was picturing, like, a 16-year-old. No, no, no. Who didn't All- have a house okay, key. Okay, so Marilyn, at this point, is probably in her 60s. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. And all of her children are grown. Yeah. Cheryl's married with three kids. And then they have two other kids. Or Marilyn had two other kids, and we'll get into those kids in just a sec. Okay. So when Cheryl and Chris got back home, Cheryl called her sister Stacy, who lived with her girlfriend, Susan, and Stacy and Cheryl's brother, Richard, just a block or so from Marilyn. So they lived very close. She asked them when the last time they saw their mother, and she said she believed something was wrong, so they agreed to meet at Marilyn's. Okay. I'm going to need a family tree. Okay. So Marilyn's mom. Yes. Richard is the eldest child. Okay. Cheryl is, I 
I, I get into ages at some point here, but Cheryl's the middle child and then Stacy is the youngest. Got it. Okay. And then Stacy's girlfriend, Susan, is involved kind of throughout mm-hmm. the story as well, just because they had been together for a very yeah. long time. Okay. So they all go to the house. Marilyn was definitely gone as well as some clothing and personal items were missing. They knew that she had planned a trip for that weekend, but thought it strange that Marilyn wouldn't have told them or her employer. If she had decided to leave early, that would be Mm -hmm. unlike her. She was not. She was very regimented type of person. Mm -hmm. There was obviously something amiss as they walked throughout the home. They said there were items out of place in several areas, which, too, was very unlike her. I believe they mentioned items, things being left out on the bathroom Mm -hmm. counter, the coffee pot still had some coffee in it, and there was papers, like, strewn about on the table. So it wasn't exactly like it had been burglarized. It was just things were left out, and... It looked as if Marilyn had maybe left in a hurry. Only Marilyn never, never, ever left her house like that. She would wake up at four o'clock in the morning so that she could take her time to get ready for work and put everything away and make Mm -hmm. her bed. And she was that kind of person. So they knew that she was far too meticulous to leave the house that way. Richard started sorting through the paperwork left out and pointed out that there was a letter from the IRS stating that Marilyn was under investigation for collecting over $100,000 of her husband's Social Security. Weird. Nothing is scarier than the IRS. (laughs) Richard insisted that this must have something to do with her leaving or that their father came back and took her. He kept saying repeatedly, the nightmare is back. The nightmare is back. Oh, no. Cheryl wasn't convinced that Marilyn left of her own accord. She noticed that the clothes missing were specifically Marilyn's work clothes. And she did not believe that Marilyn would have left with only the items that were missing. If she was going to take yeah, off if she would have packed a little bit more accordingly. Yes. And apparently, she, she, this is how meticulous this woman was, is that her closet in her bedroom had all of her work clothes. The closet in one of the spare rooms had all of her social yeah. clothes. Yeah. So she even like kept everything organized, separated. So they called the police. Cheryl, specifically, called the police, but they were all there. Mm-hmm. And the police came out, and they filed a missing persons report. Yeah, that's a normal chain of events. Yes. Well, I mean, normal in the true crime world. Yes. The only leads that police had to go on were that all three of her children had no idea that Marilyn had been cashing their father's social security checks. And their father, Richard Cannon Sr., had left the family in 1988 and had not been heard from since. They told Hmm. police that they feared that he would harm Marilyn if he had come back for her because he had always been an abusive and violent man. Oh. Hence why Marilyn's house was always so spotless. Oh, now I'm sad. Yes. Sorry. 
The investigation initially seemed slow going, and Cheryl was calling at least once a week for updates. She was, like, on top of them. Yeah, but it's annoying that she was having to do that. If you have a person who's missing from their family and you don't have updates at least once a week? Yeah. That's frustrating. Well, before they could really update her, she was already on it. Stacy admitted throughout that she never called the detectives herself because she knew Cheryl was calling all the time. And Richard also told her that he was calling as well, so she relied on them. But she definitely had much more contact with Richard, being that they lived together. In the weeks to follow, Cheryl took a leave of absence from her job as a nurse to focus on finding Marilyn. Whereas Stacy carried on with life because she worked at Disney and said she could not afford to take time off as well as she just felt that it was best to leave the searching in the hands of the professionals. Okay. She kind of felt like, well, what can I do? You know, what can I really do to like physically be looking for her? Especially since she and Richard in particular were kind of in the mindset that maybe their father had come back. They're fearful of their father. Mm -hmm. So to me, that makes sense. It makes sense why somebody would take a leave of absence, but it also makes sense why somebody might not. I mean, I see both sides of it, but also like, what are you doing? Like, how can, how, I'm genuinely asking, how was she helping? What was she doing? Oh, I asked the wrong question. Moving on. You'll find out by the end. Okay. I'll wait patiently. Yes. So Richard on the other hand, seemed to take a different approach. He took it upon himself to, quote, take care of mom's business. Oh, interesting that this is now your responsibility. Which apparently included moving all her things into a storage unit. What? 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 And and having her garage floor redone. Sounds like he's... hmm. Okay. Richard claimed he was doing so to protect as much as he could in the case that the IRS would decide to come after her assets. Now. Now that's not what you do, though. I'm not exactly clear <laughs> on um, where at in the investigation that made them decide to hand the case over to homicide detectives. That's a little muddled okay. in, in my sources. I, I don't know exactly what made them go okay this is it may have just been a timeline (laughs) thing too yeah like so the timeline on this is sort of confusing because i don't want to give too much away but it's complicated and the family is at odds and well and like as somebody who is not i don't know much about the case if anything at all really if the dad has been missing since 88 you said Mm mm-hmm He's, I'm assuming, presumed dead because if they had any sort of information about where he was or like they knew where he was registered to be living or clearly they didn't because the social security checks were coming to that house, right? Mm -hmm. So they're assuming he's dead. I mean, I guess the IRS isn't because they're still giving social social security. I don't know. I, at least some of them aren't necessarily assuming he's dead. They just don't care either way. Well, I figured the kids wouldn't care, but I i mean, if they're looking into the investigation to figure out where... Oh, yeah. Like, the police at yeah. this point might... They definitely... It was definitely an an option, <laughs> yeah. for sure. But I'm questioning how, if he disappeared in 88, 
How does the Social Security office not know? Catch on to that between eight, 15 years? Yeah. Like, how did they not? I mean, if they filed the missing re- persons report, eventually they would have reported that to the, like, to the Social Security office or the IRS, apparently. Yeah. Oh, ding, ding, ding. They didn't file a missing persons report on their father, did they? No. Because they. <gasps> I'm like a little detective. <laughs> And I'm going to get to the, those details in just a second. But good job. Yay! I get a gold star. <laughs> yes. So they still had no idea where Marilyn was. But what homicide detectives did uncover was extremely concerning. As detectives dug into the Cannon and family history, they found that Richard Cannon and Sr. had gone missing not just 15 years, but exactly 15 years to the day as Marilyn on September 11th, 1988. And no one in the family reported him missing. I mean, okay. I don't think I blame them for not reporting him missing. Yeah. Like, if oh, I don't at all. Because I'm going to go into some of the stuff that happened in their childhood. I don't, but like... Good riddance. Yeah, you're just like, I don't know. I don't care. Turning the other blind eye. I don't. Nope. Exactly this is the day. Exactly. Yes. All three of their children, Richard, Cheryl, and Stacy, admitted to police that, well, he left and no one cared to look for him because they were better off without him. It turned out that Richard Cannon and Sr. was not only abusive to his family, but an ex-convict who last served time in Arizona on forgery charges in the 1960s. He had moved his family all over the country, often on a moment's notice, when either neighbors were on to his abuse, or he had possibly committed yet another crime, until they finally settled down in Florida in the late 1970s. Of course. The more detectives found out about the Cannon and family and watched their actions following Marilyn's disappearance, the more suspicious they became of them, especially Richard and Stacy. It's true that there was a strange dynamic amongst them, and they each had their issues individually. But the question, I, this is an opinion. I'm putting it out there. This is an opinion. But to me, the question that maybe should have been investigated was not only, oh, who looks suspicious, but like, are their actions suspicious or are they that of severely traumatized victims that they, have been conditioned yeah. to behave strangely? <laughs> yeah, it could be both, you know exactly. what I'm saying? It, exactly. The two are not mutually exclusive, but you can't ignore trauma in behavior. Yes. So according to her book, you know how I feel about reading people's books. I do. So I don't, I do not use people's, especially the people accused of crimes. I do not go based off their books unless I have very good reason to believe that, okay, they're probably telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So Stacy Cannonin did write a book about this. And the reason that I got it and read it was because of watching the trial and just piecing things mm-hmm. together throughout the trial that I was like, nope, I want to read this book. Okay. Okay. So I just want to put that little disclaimer on there. I trust if you say that it's you it's okay for you to have read it and like it's fine. Yeah. 
I, I will say she wrote it with somebody who is not a writer, but is, I believe, a producer of something that she met. Because Stacy, we'll get into this, but Stacy worked at Disney. So. Yeah. And in any case, and her trial was televised. Whoopsie. Gave something away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> her trial was televised. So she, of course, was approached by different people and and whatnot. But she had met this woman who was a producer through um, somebody in the neighborhood where she ends up living. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we want you to tell your story. And at first she said no. And then she was like, okay. So neither of them are writers of books Mm -hmm. per se. And it's definitely mostly Stacy. Stacy's writing. I think the the other woman probably just like kind of helped her put it together in format and she's not a particularly you know profound author (laughs) it just but from what I could compare to trial and the few articles and stuff that I found about it it seems to be on point like okay I didn't catch any mistakes or lies or anything and she even gets down to like when she's quoting people from interviews or from testimony in the courtroom, she even puts in the ums and the ohs and the pauses and the okay, good. So she, they did their homework, from what I can tell. Okay, but in any case, Stacy in her book, which is called Fear of Our Father, held that the latter was her case. That but she acted. She weird. her actions were weird because. That's the way she was conditioned to behave. Mm -hmm. So now I want to warn anybody at all. I probably should have given a warning in the beginning, but I'll give it now. I want to warn anyone who is sensitive to abuse or rape to just skip ahead. I normally would just skim over this part, but I think it's paramount Mm -hmm. to the case and to understanding why things happened the way they did. So we'll put the the time that you can skip ahead to in the show notes. So if you want to yes. pause and you want to scroll down, it'll be there. Yes. To tell you where you can skip ahead to. Thank you. That's a fantastic idea. You're so welcome. I hate when people are like, just skip ahead. And I'm like, to where? To when? And yeah. then you start skipping and you like unpause and it's like halfway through something you didn't want to hear. Yeah. We're going to fix that problem. Yeah. Because I don't want, I mean, this is like the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. and it's bad. Okay. So now that everybody who doesn't want to listen is gone. Richard, Cheryl, and Stacy's unusual interactions are really not that unimaginable when you learn the extent of abuse they withstood by their father. The children regularly witness their mother get beaten within an inch of her life. The beatings only became less severe when Richard Sr. had to stop working and began fraudulently collecting disability due to his rampant alcoholism and he relied on Marilyn to work. He also never allowed her to have a driver's license until his eyesight got so bad from his alcoholism that he couldn't see to drive, so then he allowed her to get her driver's license. Richard, being the eldest child and about 10 years older than Stacy, who is the youngest, felt the brunt at first. I believe there's only two or three years between Cheryl and Stacy, so... Mm -hmm. Richard had endured quite a few years of abuse before they were even born, with the exception of the few years in 1960s when Richard Sr. was in prison. Mm. Got a break. 
But then Marilyn took him back after he got out because she was scared. So we are not just speaking of getting physically beaten, but rather Richard Sr. would regularly shoot guns in the house, sometimes aiming just next to his victims. There was witness testimony that Richard Sr. would tie his son up like a dog as punishment outside. Richard Jr. reportedly had hearing loss from an airplane ride as an infant, but it's also reported that Richard Sr. shot guns right next to Jr. so much and regularly that it caused further damage. Yeah. During one of multiple house fires the family experienced, it was Richard Jr. who rescued his sisters from their bedroom after their father did nothing to get them out and refused to let Marilyn help. Um, I'm sorry? Yes. Multiple house fires? Multiple house so fires. So then combined with what you also said, that sounds like attempted murder, but whatever. Yes. Well, it wouldn't be the only time. Once he rescued them, Richard Sr. was angry and put out that they all survived. How dare they? Often his sister's protector, Richard Jr. had to make the difficult decision to leave college when Richard Sr. called him and said, you either come home or I'm going to kill everybody. Oh, my God. Once Richard Jr. finally decided to move out of the family home, Richard Sr. implemented a rule that he was only welcome back to visit when invited by Richard Sr. himself, and Marilyn, Cheryl, and Stacy were to have no contact with him outside of those visits. Cheryl stated that she remembers her father shooting guns in the house and threatening to shoot them regularly. She admitted that Richard Sr. had been physically abusive to her and specifically told of a time that he beat her up and down the entire side of her body. When asked if her father had ever sexually abused her, Cheryl stated that she remembers he would often lock their mother out of the house and take her to their bedroom but she did not remember what happened after going into the bedroom. Cheryl also testified in court that she didn't know for sure if Stacy had ever endured as much abuse as she and Richard, but it seemed to her that she hadn't, in part because Stacy was the only one of them that Richard Sr. always claimed as his child. Oh, interesting. They were all his kids. I know, He but- just, yeah. According to Stacy, Cheryl's nickname for Stacy when they were growing up was the fair-haired child. I was going to say, so what about Stacy? Yeah. Makes her the favorite, well, not the favorite, but. Well, I think that, I'll share this because I don't really get into it in my notes. Um, from everything that I can tell, the difference between Cheryl and Stacy in particular is that Cheryl was more feisty. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that has to do, I find it interesting that she's the one that, like, blocked out a lot of memories. Like, she knows there was abuse. She remembers certain things. But especially when it comes to the sexual abuse, she's blocked it out. She doesn't remember. She remembers being taken into a bedroom, but she doesn't remember anything beyond that. But she also was the one who would fight back a little Mm -hmm. bit more. She She would push boundaries more. She would run off with friends more. Um, and try to stay gone as much as possible once she gets a little older. And she was, like, out the door the second that she hit 18. Mm-hmm. Whereas Richard stuck around to try and protect them. Mm-hmm. And he didn't leave until he was in his early 20s. 
maybe I think early 20s, like 22, 23. Stacy still lived with them up until her father disappeared in 1988. And she only moved out after that. She was able to kind of relax. And and that's when she met her girlfriend, Susan. Mm. And then she moved out. So she endured his abuse actually longer Mm -hmm. than any of them. And she is definitely different than Cheryl. She's more quiet and reserved. Mm -hmm. And she remembers a lot more, but she is heavily, you can just, I hate to say it, but that's what that's what drew me to reading her book because watching her in the courtroom, you can just see it. You can tell that she is a very passive. She doesn't always have a nice look on her face, but you can tell even when she doesn't look happy, it's not she doesn't look evil or vindictive mm-hmm. or not even really bitchy. She's just yeah. She just looks like she looks like a mousy person that mm-hmm. you'd probably talk to for five minutes. And if you have any insight or empathic ability, you'd be like, what happened to you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so. Anywho. Stacy, as I said, Stacy remembers a lot of details. And in her book, she details much of the abuse. And it is something truly nightmares are made of her recollection of abuse seems to match that of her brother and sister but goes on even further she recalls the time just before her seventh birthday that their father drove her and cheryl to a nearby lake on a hot summer day now as i tell this i want you to keep in mind that stacy like that's another reason that i believe her stories is that she doesn't tell them in the sad, self-pitying, sappy sort of way. She very much tells these stories like, well, this just happened. Yeah. And anybody who has suffered childhood trauma knows that's one of the things you grow up thinking like this is just Normal. how life is yeah. until you go out into the world and start talking to friends and then you say something really messed up and all your friends look at you like, are you okay? Are you okay? What, what's wrong with you? Like, why would you just say that? So matter of fact, and you're like, because that's just what happened. Like, <laughs> why aren't you upset? I don't know, because that was my life. That's just, yeah, I've had it happen. I've seen it happen to yeah. other people. Like, we've all been there. So I tend to believe that while some of the details might be skewed because she was a child and your memories are yeah. not always, you know, foolproof. I just, this is one of those stories that I went, yeah, there's no way. Because she's telling it in this way that's almost nostalgic when it, com- mm-hmm. when it comes to as if it was a bonding moment for her and her sister. Not, not as much like, oh, it's this really terrible, traumatic thing. So they had no idea what was happening. He tells them, get in the truck. We're going He drives to the lake, and then he directs them to get into the boat that he brought with them. They get in because you don't ask, you don't say no, you just do as you're told. Mm -hmm. Richard Sr. drove the boat out to a floating dock about 30 feet or so out from the shore and told the girls to get out. Knowing neither of them knew how to swim, he drove away yelling, 
if you want to come home, make your way to shore. Then he proceeded to sit in his truck, drinking beer and smoking while his daughters sat abandoned until they found the courage to paddle their way to shore. It was Cheryl remembering watching their mother swim and determining how to float on her back that saved them. They slowly dog paddled their way, and Cheryl would guide Stacy, telling her to turn and float whenever she was tired. Stacy claimed that she remembers their father being angry when they made it back to the truck, as if he was hoping they wouldn't make it, and then he could just write it off as an accidental drowning. Moving on. The end of that story. I, I mean, Your face. I just don't it's know. It's <laughs> like, because what am I supposed to say? What do you say? There's I know. nothing to say. It's horrible. It's, it's horrendous. Stacy's recollection of sexual abuse at the hands of Richard Sr. began when she was as young as four years old. She described it as, quote, violence that just happened to involve parts that are supposed to correspond with sex. I'm going to try not to cry. It's horrendous. Okay. I even practiced this part so that I wouldn't cry. Sorry. Uh, He would tell her that he was getting her ready, as she was obviously too small to actually have sex with. Stacy wrote that she believes her brother was also sexually abused because she would see Richard Sr. coming out of Richard Jr.'s bedroom, zipping up his pants, and she knows Cheryl was because she would actually see him, like, fondle her. Richard Sr. eventually began raping Stacy and did not stop until his disappearance on September 11th. So, to me, that's a good indication that, yeah, she was so conditioned. She was so conditioned. She was over 18. She could have left. But she was conditioned that this is just my life. And as I said... These stories are really just the tip of the iceberg in this massive sea of psychological warfare and abuse this man reportedly perpetrated on his family. There was really two recurring themes throughout Stacy's book and the testimonies of others about their family life. One, they absolutely were to do as they were told and never ask why. And two, they were unable to have what most people would consider normal relationships with each other as well. Like, yeah. it's not just, oh, my dad abuses us, but we stick together. No, he did everything he could to keep them from talking to each other. Yeah, isolate them from each other. Yeah. So I tend to believe that what Stacy wrote, at least most of what Stacy wrote in her book is true. I think it would at least be true for her. Even if it's not always what yes. happened, it is her reality. Yes, exactly. But it's evident that the Canaan children were conditioned to never ask questions of anyone else in the family, whether that was to avoid abuse or avoid knowing something they didn't really want to know. And I think that's true of even Cheryl because, yes, she took the the leave of absence from work, but there's nothing in the trial records, not even in Stacy's book. There's not. She doesn't ever really like question or push back, like really push back on Richard as to why do you have a key to the house, but I don't. Why are you taking stuff and putting it in a storage unit? Why, you know, yeah. like even she didn't 
push back, which she, she had every right to. But she can't. So I think that's very telling that mm-hmm. all of them suffered from this. Now, the unconventional way of relating to each other had led to its fair share of drama even after the disappearance of Richard Sr. While everyone agreed that life had improved dramatically after his exit, there was still some significant differences between the Cananans and a typical family. The first being that Richard Jr. at some point disappeared himself for years. What? Having gotten married, he didn't really disappear, but like he took off. He took off. He had gotten married and moved away and rarely stayed in touch. The next thing to know is that it was reported that Stacy and her girlfriend Susan were pretty close with Marilyn, and they would all go to weekly dinners, go to outings, Disney trips quite often because they both worked at Disney and their mother, Marilyn, loved Disney. But there's no mention of Cheryl ever being part of these events. Mm-hmm. And Stacy even went on to testify in court that no, Cheryl would only hang out with them if the if her kids were there. Yeah. If her kids were involved. Marilyn would spend time with Cheryl and her family and was reportedly a wonderful grandmother. But Stacy and Cheryl never did anything alone together. They were not close. Okay. I mean, we all have to deal with that trauma in some way. Yes. And it could be difficult for them to see each other. Yes. Well, especially hearing that Cheryl believed that Stacy didn't, yeah. you know, have How it as did bad. How believe that? As far as the abuse went, even though Cheryl knew that their father would intentionally, like, he would take them individually away, he might beat up Marilyn in front of all the kids but when it came to the he would try to separate them as much as possible whoever was the victim of the day he would try to separate them so that nobody really knew exactly what happened to each other she still didn't piece that together and she very much thought oh you've got it easy and I don't know that she really thought about the fact that it's just textbook for an abuser to have some one person in particular that they really take like they might mm-hmm. be abusive to everybody but this one person they really get the brunt of it but when you remove that person they pick somebody new mm-hmm. and then when you remove that person they pick somebody new so it's not crazy to think that like okay when you were in the house maybe, maybe. stacy didn't get the brunt of it but what happened to stacy when you all moved out Mm-hmm. She was it. She was the last one. So it's not crazy to think that like the abuse really probably ramped up at that point for her. And she was a teenager when Cheryl left. So she had another like four or five years at least, yeah. I think. All right. So when Stacy caught wind that Richard Jr. had gotten divorced and was practically living in squalor, She reached out to him in an attempt to reconnect. Around the same time, she and Susan were buying the house just down the street from Marilyn. But according to Marilyn's co-workers, Marilyn was not happy about this, especially when Stacy and Susan invited Richard Jr. to stay with them. Marilyn supposedly told her co-worker that she didn't want them, quote, watching her, 
and she was especially uncomfortable with Richard being so close and around so much. That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but she's a great-grandmother, and she spends time she, with them. And She did with the grandchildren, but Richard and Stacy didn't have kids. She was with oh. Susan, but they didn't have kids. Richard didn't have kids. Cheryl had kids, and I she see. lived close, but not. She lived like 10 minutes away mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, and I don't have a definitive answer as to why Marilyn would feel that way, but she kind of figured it out Okay, by the end. So Richard, needless to say, really, he was a bit unsettled, to put it mildly, and was known for telling grandiose tales, including a claim that during his time away from his family, he was paid to, quote, take care of abusive fathers and husbands. Or abusive parents, what? but specifically fathers and husbands. Yes, he, he was... made these grand claims that people would pay him to basically set these people up, like plant drugs on them and get them put in jail so that their families could get away from them. I don't, okay. I don't want to say the obvious, but okay. Yeah. I'm going to let it be a, a grand reveal, but I think we've all put two and two together. Yeah. So, despite the wild stories that he told and Marilyn's concerns about Richard, they carried on the best that they could, as usual, with him in their lives. Stacy, in particular, though, was very happy to have him back as she's 10 years younger. So, when he finally left, you know, she was technically still a kid when he left home. And so she looked forward to developing a closer bond with him. Okay. Because she really had him kind of up on a pedestal as like their protector. And so she yeah, looked up to him in that way. Another family member that was spending quite a bit of time with Richard was Cheryl's teenage son, who got to hear all about Cheryl and Richard and Stacy's childhood abuse and how Richard Sr. had taught Richard Jr. to be a criminal. Oh, no. This is, uh, be careful who your kids are around. Often these talks would take place when Richard would pick up his nephew while Cheryl and her husband Chris were at work. But some of these talks happened while creating a memorial garden in Marilyn's backyard as remembrance of Marilyn's father who had passed away the year before. Okay. This work on the memorial garden also led to Chris, Cheryl's husband, Stacy, and Richard discussing starting a landscaping business on the side. But from the sound of things, from what I could find, it seemed more like Chris and Stacy were predominantly kind of investing mm-hmm. in the business, and Richard would do the bulk of running it because his electrician business, Emerald Electric, had been slow. So the connection they had all been building during that time of doing the memorial garden quickly devolved after Chris and Cheryl's son told Richard and Stacy that he had started carrying a knife on him to protect him from his mother, Cheryl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Richard and Stacy confronted Chris about this, and when Chris refused to allow their son to move in with Marilyn... Richard offered to, quote, take care of Cheryl, 
explaining he had ways to get her out of the house. Now, remember his stories about abusive parents and getting them out? Okay. Chris, not yet knowing all the things that Richard had told their son, simply told Richard, no, you guys stay out of it. We'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Cheryl then wrote Stacy and Richard a letter essentially telling them to butt out and that they would be dealing with it privately. And at some point after that, they did inform Stacy and Richard that they were getting help through parenting classes at church and that things were improving. Okay. Stacy in particular claimed that she was satisfied with that action. She just wanted to make sure everybody was safe and happy. She didn't want the children to be taken away from Cheryl. She just wanted to make sure that everything was good. Yeah. Because she had actually been close with Cheryl's kids. Like ever since that nephew, the oldest child was born, she had always been close with them. Took them to Disney all the time, would play basketball with them, you know, Mm -hmm. hang out. Despite that tension, though. The family would still get together occasionally for a game night at Cheryl and Chris's home. And their son continued to spend time with all of the family. So I don't really want to go off on a tangent, but as a mother and a mother whose family is rather dysfunctional, I just find it this whole thing. And as we get more into it, I could not help question Cheryl throughout all of this even from the beginning even before I knew the end of the story even if your brother's a weirdo talking about yeah getting people rid like getting rid of people and sending them to jail and planting drugs on them if you're not you're not close to your sister and you don't really trust her or want her input or want her involved like when things go wrong why would you let your child be so close to these people like that to me is i'm sure weird i'm sure it happens but to me no if i'm not close to you i have siblings i'm not close to in the second that i'm not close to you i don't want you being an influence over my kids whether i'm right or wrong like it doesn't matter like it just that kind of boggles my mind i don't know but again They're not a normal family. They had, like, chaos and, you know. So, now, if looking at the situation from Cheryl's perspective, Stacy and Richard probably did look as though they were thick as thieves because Cheryl doesn't really spend time alone with either one of them. Richard's living at Stacy's house. They're spending all kinds of time together. But nothing was as it seemed. Stacy and Susan were happy with their arrangement that Richard could move in, and in exchange, he helped them fix up their new house. Okay, fair enough. Within months, though, Stacy and Susan were fighting, not getting along, and their relationship began to suffer. Hmm. Stacy noticed that Richard invited himself practically everywhere she went except for work. That's weird. And that was putting a strain on her and Susan because they yeah. weren't getting alone time. Like, Get your weirdo brother away from me. Yeah. I mean, and Susan was fine. They were both fine with Richard, but it was just. Moderation. Yeah. Stacy 
didn't even catch on to it because it was just, he's always there. So it did bother Stacy, you know, once she realized like, man, he just, he wants to do everything that I do, whether it's with Susan, whether it's this, whether it's that. But she just kind of assumed that his invasiveness was because he was lonely and obviously nobody, none of them have proper communication skills obviously not. so she didn't necessarily handle it properly and put a stop to it when she should have it wasn't until later though that she found out just how deep those behaviors went like just how intentional they might have been because she found out that that wasn't the first time that richard had moved in with others and caused division in the home He's a little homewrecker. In 1999, Richard had moved in with a woman named Catherine and her husband with the agreement that he would complete odd jobs around their home instead of paying rent. Also, it's kind of a weird agreement. I mean, it's fine for like family. Family, yes. But like, I found this, this weird. Friends like, what that you have is just gonna. Yeah. I mean, unless your house needs a lot of work and it's like a full time job. Yeah. Still weird. Strange. Please come do it. I'll pay you to do it. I don't want you in my space. (laughs) Yeah. I'm weird like that. I need, Mm. I don't, mm. I had one roommate ever in my life and almost instantly regretted it. Love her, (laughs) but don't do well living with anybody but my family long term. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. I I mean, yeah. Yes. It's It's always, there's always a learning curve to roommates and I don't think that that's a good enough like i i love when i come home and my roommate isn't home and it's not because he's not we're really good friends we've been like best friends for a really long time but it's also my house and you're introverted so like when you come home from work i know that feeling and i'm like yes yeah silent well the dogs but silence yeah dogs don't count i mean mine are they play loudly but either way oh mine too but still i can like shut them out of a room yeah (laughs) just let them outside and then it's fine yes but yeah So anyway, this was a tangent to say. Anyway. It's a little weird. It's weird. And I'm not all that shocked that it didn't work out. Well, yes. Richard told the couple he worked for the All-Star Electric Company, but he also discussed starting a business with Catherine's husband. Uh, Wait, there's a lot of what? A lot of parallels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is really weird. And before long, the couple had split up, and Richard became romantically involved with Catherine. Uh, wait, hold on, pause, pause. We need to pause. We need to pause. We need to pause because <laughs> there's only I have questions. That's where the parallelism it stops. It stops he there. He wasn't trying to like hook up with his lesbian sister or her girlfriend lesbian lover. I, that was what i was no. like which okay yeah they're no, both that's... bad but one is significantly worse yeah okay cool i so, just need to clarify that we weren't going incest no here. no no not i don't think so anyway that's not been reported i don't think so she yeah okay anyway because that's a whole different set of trigger warnings but, yeah <laughs> it is so by the end of that year Catherine's home burned down from an electrical fire. Stop it. And some months after receiving the insurance money, Catherine found out that Richard had stolen ten to $15,000 of that money. Imagine that. 
Imagine that, coupled with the fact that he grew up with a father who apparently committed arsons. She also found out that he sent the money to two different women, (gasps) one named Mary and one named Marilyn. See, Richard had never told Catherine that he had been married and was estranged from his family. I know he was married. So she had no idea that Mary was his ex-wife and Marilyn was his mother. Uh. Of course, once Marilyn's disappearance is fully investigated and all of this information is brought to light, Stacy then (laughs) finally sees Richard's pattern of behavior. But of course, it's too late. No, girl, go get Susan. You can work it out. I'm ready for you. So... This do is a good stopping together? point. Do, do Susan and, and Stacy get back together? No, they never broke up. They oh, just were fighting. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Phew. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to make it sound like they broke up. Oh, they just bad. were fighting a lot. And that was not like they had been together for like 15 years yeah. and never had any issues. Like they had always gotten along really well. I was rooting for him. And I didn't want her stupid brother to get in the way. So no, Susan's a champion through this. Let me tell you something. I don't talk much about Susan, so I'll just say it not here and now. I want to meet Susan because <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Susan throughout this story because she she gets it. Let me She's there. She is there. Even though she's fighting with her girlfriend, she is she still goes to bat for her. Oh, you know that's real love. When even even when you're fighting, you're like, "Hey, no." Yeah, exactly. I'm, that's no. Even exactly. when I don't like you, I love you a lot. Yes, exactly. And that's Susan. And Aww. I don't really get into her testimony because obviously in court she testifies for Stacy on Stacy's behalf, and so obviously she's for Stacy. Um, but I did find it funny that in the book, Stacy talks about. That she can see because she knows Susan, so she can see when she's starting to get worked up. And she wrote on her little pad to the attorney, oh, she mad, mad now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you pissed her off. That prosecutor better look out. Because she coming. Because she's mad. She's about to blow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I'm so, just picturing Susan from Friends. I just hope that the world knows that's who exactly who I'm picturing. Oh, no. Well, no. She doesn't really look Well, like I'm going to look up pictures but, um, yeah. on the break. Because we're going to pause. And I have pictures in the book. The book has some pictures. Okay, perfect. Too. And there are pictures, if you're listening to this, there are currently pictures on our Instagram, on our Facebook. Oh, there is? When they're listening to this, there will oh, be. Oh, yes. <laughs> Not right now. This is my blonde moment of the day. Excuse me. I'm anyway, dead. this is a good stuff. <laughs> I need to go have lunch. Yes, we're gonna go eat lunch. You go eat lunch, and then, and then wait until Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and then have Monday. a really long lunch, and then come back on Monday on the clock, <laughs> and come back for part two. All right. Thanks for listening. Oh wow, this is a roller coaster. I'm going to have to, like, recap before we come back because this is a lot. Oh, we will. All right. I'll re- we'll kind of recap for Percy. All right. Okay. We'll talk to you Monday. Till Monday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.